You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Told me that when people rise up against you, what's the sign of your destiny real? Fake ones been hating, cause they know that one day you're making it. Jealousy's all they can feel. Plugging the fall, drifting my zone. Painting the future and thinking alone. About when I'm grown, already blown. How'd I get back with the beautiful home? You were the sight, beautiful life. Beautiful sex, my husband and wife. Beautiful children, people who want to come kill me because I'm expressing my rights. Kill me because I'm expressing my rights. Kill me because I'm expressing my rights. Today's episode is sponsored by Udder. Udder is a HR tech consulting advisory and services business. Their mission is to improve the HR tech industry for everyone. They work with vendors to help them build products to solve real world problems and they work with buyers to help them make better purchasing decisions. They are also advocates of neurodiversity at work. In today's episode, I meet Stan Vasovich. Stan talks to us about his ADHD, growing up, being an incredible sales leader, and actually just loving life. He also talks about some of his sporting analogies uh, and why he thinks neurodiversity is so important and why we should focus on skills and strengths. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey Stan, really pleased to have you on the podcast. Been really interested to get you on for a while. Welcome. Would you like to tell the audience who you are, what you do, what you're about? Hi, hi. Thanks, Theo. Pleasure to be here. You know, uh, I uh, I admire your work that you do in the neurodiversity space, and uh, yeah, we'll go back for a while now. So it's it's an absolute honor to also contribute. And um, so I uh, work in the recruitment industry. Fell into it 14 years ago. Currently uh, running alliances for smart recruiters. That's a um, San Francisco headquartered but globally operating talent acquisition suite uh, on a mission uh, to fix recruitment. You know, um, candidates can't really connect with employers. They say employers say they 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 think it's hard to find uh, talent. Uh, so something's wrong there. We're trying to correct that and connect people to jobs at scale. Um, on the side, I also advise a few really interesting uh, companies. And uh, man, well, in, in my free time, you know, I like to do. I like to travel, I like food, spend time with the missus, and uh, just have a good life. So, Stan, we met about it's almost two years ago because we have a troop coming up in Manchester. I remember seeing you across the room, and you were uh, you you stood tall. You were a confident guy, quite verbose, opinionated. Um, had a good level of intellect uh, and I remember thinking who is this guy uh, and you know we had a great day that day and we had lots more conversations and I remember searching you out on LinkedIn uh, and then ever since then of course we've we've been well connected partly because I've always seen you as somebody who has uh, taken the lead on giving information giving advice giving support uh, and where you don't know about something you've gone and found it out and your level of energy has been through the roof so I've always appreciated having you in my um, friendship circle and, and circle uh, of experts, of those people who, who are willing to share their, their life experiences and work experiences. But the interesting thing is, is over that time, as I start to learn about neurodiversity, 
I started to wonder about you. And I started to think, you know, this stand, he's got a lot of energy. He's um, thing about this stand that I think is, a, is really different to other people. And I really like that. And I remember one day we were sat uh, and we were having a drink and we were talking about this subject. And you opened up and, and told me about your, your life experiences. So leading on to that, Stan, tell me what neurodiversity means to you uh, and how it impacts you. Yeah, um, great question. Um, in all honesty, it didn't, didn't mean much to me or I wasn't aware of it until you opened my eyes. So thanks for, for the introduction. And by the way, uh, you're far too kind, man, Theo. Uh, right back at you. Uh, your energy, your passion, uh, and especially for this particular subject, I think means a lot to uh, a lot of people. Opens a lot of eyes and, and puts uh, people on a learning journey. Uh, when I first heard you speaking about neurodiversity, I thought, hey, man, I think I take a lot of Theo's boxes. I am on the lucky or on the positive side of the spectrum. I managed to use my abilities to conquer my uh, challenges and my um, weaknesses that, that I may have uh, cognitively. There are a lot of people that are less fortunate. And uh, I think shedding a light on that and uh, creating, especially you know, in, in the workforce and in the employment sp space, a uh, fertile ground for, for, for neurodiverse people to flourish is, is really important. Looking back, based on what I've learned from you to answer your question, growing up and still, I found it very hard to focus on one thing only. It, it, I wouldn't even say it was boring. You know, people thought that I might be too smart, you know, and I, I got bored, or they thought that I might not just care, that I wasn't seeing the importance of specific subjects or, or, or activities. But, but but that's not it. Uh, that, that that was never it. Um, same goes for my energy. People thought that you know maybe I, I was just uh, uh, in need for attention, uh, or all the sort of stigmas get that get thrown at you. Even before that, they they thought that I might have trouble focusing on the subject or reading or writing. That that was never it. I, you know, I always had good grades. I could always process information extremely fast, and and I just really liked to you know get people going create and explore new things and 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 and, and as many at the same time as possible and you know at certain points that meant that it was hard for me to fall into the rhythm of the regular educational system for example and it also meant that i had to adjust and find ways to to find a place and find a role to uh fit into the professional professional life it's so Thinking back then, Stan, what do you think was the, the big defining moment, the shift for you, where you were able to think, right, I now know what I'm going to do? Because you talk about falling into recruitment, and there's a lot of conversations of, around where that happens. But where was the moment where you went, oh, actually, uh, I, I feel this power, this energy that, that I can actually utilise uh, in my working life and, and to be really successful? Where was that shifting point? So, so I was pretty much going with the flow for a long time in my life, to, to be fair. You know, um, when it comes to education, I, I dropped out of school a bunch of times, went back, then, you know, graduated high school and dropped out of uh, uni originally, you know, got in, into um, selling door to door uh, because I got, you know, uh, introduced into it by uh, mutual friends. And you know, my parents were quite clear. Hey, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna study, you're gonna work. You know, you're gonna uh, um, make your own contribution, right? 
that was the first time in sales, you know, that I could really channel my energy and focus. And funnily enough, you know, going door to door, it's quick, short term impressions that you have to make. Right. And, and you need to climax quickly, bring into, you know, the, the, these opportunities that you open at the door to a close. You need to gain trust really quickly. You need to uh, create a presentation really quickly. And, and that was the first time that I really, really think that professionally I channeled my energy and, and, and um, my, my ability to connect the dots to quickly come up with the right type of things to say in a certain area, assess the neighborhood, find out how people work, see if I can leverage referrals. Looking back, that's the first time I really turned my energy into cash. Before that, when I was um, 11, I started playing basketball. I'll never forget this. The late, great Kobe Bryant. I can't believe that, you know, that, that, that he passed away in, in that terrible, terrible crash with his daughter and, and all the other people. And the helicopter as well. I'm not sure if you've seen the news, but um, that was one of my idols. I bought NBA courtside in, I think, 1998, which was a game featuring him, and that got me involved in basketball. And sports, especially basketball, was, for me, another way to, to really channel that energy and get the most out of it. That went really well at that point. You know, I, I got into uh, to the highest level in, in, in Holland. I played uh, in some national selection talent teams. So, so I think it definitely helped there. And, and earlier in life, I, I, I just did so many different t things. I did so many sports. I read so many different. I was reading encyclopedias and that sort of stuff before I was even going to school. You know, I remember wanting to know everything about every subject that I got, uh, found I was passionate about, whether it was dinosaurs or the universe or physics or music, no matter what it was. Right. So my whole life, I, I, um, I, I can reflect and, 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 and find out that I can get really, really passionate about stuff. But then it's also quite hard for me to, to stick with one thing, to really concentrate unless I fully immerse myself into it, which is also risky because, you know, you, you, you might really start identifying with that specific thing that you're doing and let go of who you are. So, man, it, it, it's a good question. I, I, I really don't know when, when an exact shift shift happened. I know that, well, I remember are, are the negative parts of it because let's address those as well, if, if that's okay. Yeah. Right. So, like, like already said earlier, you know, when you kind of when you when you're the odd one out, when you're not exactly the same pace that everyone else is around you, people are quite quickly to to, to you know to, to to judge it or to stigmatize. And you know, what happened with me a lot is rather than saying, oh, hey, uh, since you're working really fast, you're, you're, you finished your exam 30 minutes earlier, your exercise 30 minutes earlier, oh, you actually did a good job. Let's see what else you can do. Um, you know, at school, I just remember just being bored at the desk uh, and, and starting to you know, kind of distract other people, that sort of stuff. At home, you know, I, I, I kind of you know, had my, my falling out with my parents um, because I, I was just hard to, to I guess, to cope with all the energy for, for them as well so um they just started looking for a diagnose if you know what i mean they couldn't really find out what it is they couldn't pinpoint it and uh, these were the days that the drugging children um was 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 the trend it, it's 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 happening less right now i think it's still happening a lot in the states but um myself when i was when i was at a young age i think also 11 or something um i was introduced to ritalin because I was diagnosed or diagnosed, you know, the problem with um, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, it's that it's just a cluster name, right? For different type of symptoms or different type of behaviors, but it's not a specific disorder or anything you can pinpoint. It's not a virus, you know, it's probably genetic, but, but what is it? You know, people just 
aggregate symptoms and call it something, and then they try to cure it. And for me, Ritalin meant that I, um, on one hand, could concentrate a lot better, which was good for sports probably, you know, um, but I also created uh, many uh, neurotic behaviors, you know, folding up my, my, my clothes extremely neatly, having uh, ne- needing my room to be um, fully aligned with, with you know, with, with the... Um, what you call with the with, with the walls with, with the uh, with you know with, with lines needed to correlate it, it was ridiculous um, so 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 I had written until I was like 14 I was still at the highest level of uh, uh, of, the, of the Dutch education system at that point but at a certain point I was just losing myself and when I got off the drugs when I was 15 because a social worker that I was seeing came in and said like hey man uh, I was at a really high dose I don't remember exactly but I think it was Okay, you got four and a half pills on a daily basis, one and a half in the morning, um, afternoon, evening. I wasn't sleeping. You know, I was sleeping for maybe four or five hours a night. And when I, when I stopped, I, I definitely had some kind of, um, you know, uh, reaction to it. Be, because at that point, I, I just went full circle the other way. You know, school didn't be- matter to me anymore. I really didn't only want to focus on, on sports. And, and I wasn't the most pleasant person to be with. It was puberty as well. So I'm, you know, in retrospect, I'm thinking if there was if there was a, a system where you know people like me that that just are high energy that like more information like to do more different things, um, and a school system that would cater to that, you know, that would uh, support creativity, that that would support um, children learning at their own pace, whether it's slower in one on one side, faster on another, I think that would really really help. And in the business world, you know, that's why I'm a fan in the business world of of Ken Blanchard. Uh, and situational leadership because that's focused uh, that, that, that that's pretty much task-based management. So if, if if you excel at something, oh, we'll give you more responsibility and more autonomy. If you're new to something and you have less transferable skills, less talent, you're more nervous about it. Great, we'll 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 give you more of a direct leadership style, tell you what to do. I think you know neurodiverse people um, that that have traits that fall into that you know. Um, Easily distracted spectrum, you know, or, or even in the autistic spectrum, would really benefit from a more tailored approach from from um, from the educational system as well as the the professional, you know, work life system. There, there's a lot of untapped potential there. That's really fascinating, Stan, and I think you framed that really well. There's a couple of things I want to pull out there. So the one is the the way that you think and respond um, fairly quickly. Uh, and, and sports kind of works well to that end. There's been some great uh, research uh, and articles recently around uh, people with ADHD, uh, their brain almost wanting immediate gratification. So no matter what you try to make your brain do, if your brain sees it as um, boring or just, uh, you know, it doesn't have an end point to it, your brain rejects it. So irrelevant of what we want it to do, irrelevant of what a manager tells us to do, what a teacher tells us to do, what your mum or your dad tells you to do, if your brain doesn't see the immediate benefit of doing it, then it refuses it, it rejects it. The other side to that is because our brains work in a way where we seek immediate gratification, and that's where things like sport, where, you know, you can go and try and score a goal and you, you get that immediate gratification, or you run, um, or you play a, a game that's, you know, uh, 90 minutes or whatever it may be, it's there, it's happening, it's in the moment. The same with music, you get that immediate gratification, with the arts, with painting, 
um, there's a lot of good reason why people who are neurodiverse, who are specifically who have ADHD, go into these environments and also why they become highly entrepreneurial because they're always seeking that immediate gratification, right? The, they're always looking for that means they're willing to go through a lot of change, a lot of transformation. Um, but what we've got to do is facilitate and support those individuals uh, to be able to focus on those tasks where they can see immediate benefit or break longer, more complex tasks up into segments so i sometimes say give me a give me a false deadline give me a false deadline but give me you know give me a reason why uh, you know you've put it in place you almost have to lie to me and say we've got this deadline it's tomorrow the world's gonna end if you don't do it and i'll be like yeah i'll do it i'll do it that really resonates with me because when it comes to to long-term long-term goals um, i always have to break those up in segments or i procrastinate or it just doesn't happen so uh, i've trained myself to to um creating these 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 micro goals uh, that work towards the larger goal um, but I think that over my career what I found out and what I struggled with at first and now I struggle a bit less with but still still I'm still I'm very very much on a learning curve on how to you know channel the energy and, and, and get the most out of my ideas is that I connect dots on on, on, on a different level an abstract level um, at a, in, a, in a faster pace usually than, than most of my peers. Um, and, and that's great for business development. Um, it's not that great for project management. It's not that great for um, you know, stakeholder management, getting people on board. Because, for example, if, if, if you show me, in my, in my first job, I worked in an international recruitment department um, of an organization with 125 branches when we started that grew after that. They were being very reactive. A, a few um, Large Dutch customers, when I was still in Holland, couldn't get the talent they needed to fulfill um, their goals, mainly in technical type of labor or uh, hard labor, you know, shifts, logistics, the type of stuff, you know, Dutch people either either couldn't do or didn't want to do, how I framed it. That's what we recruited people from um, outside of Europe, uh, Holland, mainly Eastern Europe from. It was purely reactive. And I thought, hey, there's an opportunity there to make money. And it, it, it took the department, I think, um, approximately 10 years to, to get to 10 million. Um, but because I saw all these branches, I saw that network in Eastern Europe, I saw that we had connections with various partners that could supply housing, transportation, insurance, um, financial support for international workers. This sounds quite complex, but in my mind, instantly I saw, hey, there's a very clear business opportunity there just to connect all of these so instead of going out um, grabbing the phone myself and, and, and cold calling um, hundreds of businesses to see if there is a need at all what I started doing is training our um, internal teams into identifying international recruitment opportunities within their specific areas essentially creating my own um, SDR function my own, you know, my own outbound sales function um, and setting um, me and my and future in the future my colleagues up to um, bring in um, international recruitment based deals you know for, for that for that uh, value proposition and in, in four and a half years we more than doubled what it took 10 years to take just by taking that approach that was the first time actually that I had to put it on paper my idea my manager forced me to they even sent me to uni paid for it uh, in, in order in order for me to also learn how to structure these thoughts because they love the idea but it's all right Stan but we're I think we get it but we're not fully following you and um, yeah for a while you know I 
And I still see that sometimes I go so fast because I just see a few ingredients and my mind just puts them together and I see some kind of value chain happening there. And, um, and, and you, don't, you don't want to know how often I hear, oh, Stan, that, that seems quite complex or it sounds quite complex. And I used at first I used to get defensive, like, how can you say that's complex? It's not complex at all. Look, it's right here. Now I'm starting to understand, oh, no, wait, I just operate a bit differently. My, my, my brain just, maybe that's exactly what you're saying. My brain loves to make those connections because anytime that happens in my mind, I feel like I'm completing a piece of the puzzle. And <laughs> actually, I also as a kid loved, loved um, making puzzles because that probably also has a lot of instant gratification, right? Just putting the right pieces in to, to work to, to, to towards a bigger picture. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's that's some interesting uh, interesting insights you uh, you maybe have there. Yeah, and it, it's about mental health and well-being. You know, if we're lucky enough to get in the right position um, and and maximize our strengths, then that's great. But you know, often we find that immediate gratification in other ways. So it might be through alcohol, through drugs. It might be through um, obsessive compulsive, uh, as you mentioned, the way that you fold up clothes. There's all different types of ways that the brain will seek that immediate gratification. So that's why I find it fascinating. You, you know, a drug may help alleviate some things that go on in your head. But actually, if we look back in, in, in the history of evolution, those things that that drug is trying to um, alleviate are the things that actually make you superhuman, are the things that can make you do things that other people can't do. And and it, so that's interesting, but it's conforming to the constructs of, of society and, and our built environments and our working environments. It, it, you know, we're, we're being forced into this box. And I think when we're not forced into a box, what we get to see is incredible people like you doing superhuman things. But I think you're right you still have to bring that back down to a place that other people can understand. Because a lot of stuff goes on in my brain where you assume um, that there'll be some level of understanding. But the problem is you've just had maybe a hundred thoughts going in your head. And what you say is maybe those hundred thoughts packed into a, you know, a single thought. And nobody else has had the benefit of hearing those hundred thoughts. And yeah. to see the, the puzzle put together as you've done it, all they're seeing, these four different pieces of puzzle put together that in their mind don't quite match and they can't see the rest of the bigger picture, which yeah. you've already got through in your mind. So I do find that fascinating. Stan, last couple of points. What would you say to either your younger self or maybe other people um, who may be having the same feelings that you had, the same energy levels, um, unsure you know, how to um, make the best of those energy levels? What would be your advice to them? There's a few things. Um... One, I think it's really understanding yourself. So understanding where the energy is coming from, where the emotion is coming from. Um, you know, there's various ways of doing that. Some are meditation. The other ones are just also having some time for yourself to think about your, oh, why am I thinking this? Where is this coming from? Um, the second one is, I mean, don't feel ashamed for having high energy. Well, you know, when, when, when people address it, you know, the, Understand that it's not necessarily an attack. Um, it might just be b because there's a lot of energy, but find a way how to turn that into a positive. And when you do, you, you'll see that that people will, you know, will actually um, feed off your energy and of your ideas. Um, professionally, I think it's surround yourself by people um, that will form either formal or informal teams connections that 
you they compliment you and vice versa. Funnily enough, most of my friends are uh, quite laid back. <laughs> so it balances out. Um, coincidentally, also a few of them are, are, are in UX and I'm not surprised because, you know, people that go into UX, UI, especially the project managers and product owners, these are the people that, you know, discover the ideas, absorb the ideas, and then come back to the organization in a way that it's <laughs> that it's understandable. So somehow I always I always feed feed, feed off them really well, also privately. Um, but then finally, you know, ha- have you ever heard of Pat Riley? Yeah. Yeah. From uh, one of the most winning coaches in in, in uh, the history of the NBA, the National Basketball Association in America, wrote an amazing book called The Winner Within. He came out with what at that time was a strange concept, but has proven its, 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 its value time and time again. What he said is to um, develop your strengths, not your weaknesses. So paradoxically, you know, when you have high energy, when you seem disorganized or chaotic, when you seem distracted, um, what most people try to do uh, in the educational system, but also in professional um, environments, is tone it down, you know, um, is manage it, structure it, is kind of put a leash on it, if you will. Um, well, I believe that fueling it and letting it go and channeling it into the right direction is way more effective. And where Pat Riley proved this is that he had some terrible free throw shooters in in his teams. Uh, later on, uh, I don't think that was under Pat, that was under Phil, but yeah, Shaquille O'Neal, a massive, massive center in the NBA, terrible free throw shooter, I think below 50%, while well, the, the the average league average is above 80. Uh, so there were even um, strategies to just foul him on purpose in order to make him go to the free throw line. So you would think, hey man, if I just train Shaquille O'Neal on shooting free throws all the time and I'm able to bring that percentage up, um, I'm winning games because he was unstoppable under the basket. He was so heavy, so big, he just got, he could just dunk every ball. Um, but his coach at a certain point said, you know what, Shaq? Screw it. Never mind. Forget three, free throws. Just, you know, just throw them at the rim. See if you make, make one is great. If you don't, no one really cares. What we are going to do, we're going to give you the ball in the position where you can score it almost 100% of the time. And during practice, we're going to practice giving you the, getting you the ball in that spot. And you're going to practice becoming even more lethal in that position. And... Um, man, that 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 was also a, a major driver for me to to be like, all right, great. So rather than trying to, you know, put a leash on my talents or where where I can deliver the most value, why don't I try working as hard as I can on on channeling it and on developing it and maturing in it and, and creating you know process and methods to to to, to um, leverage the best I can. And care a little bit less about, you know, composing and toming and pacing. Um, and it's a balance for sure. But I think that's why I would give way to, to, to whether you're, you know, whatever your, 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 your neurodiversity trait is, you know, whether, whether it's uh, trouble having reading, but you are super creative and you can work around that. Well, let's look at that rather than reading. Um, whether, you, you know, you have trouble speaking to people, looking people in the eye. 
instead of going and practicing that as much as you can, you know, and, and go to network events and see if you can, you know, step out of your comfort zone and kind of create that, that extrovertness that you don't have. Um, rather look at what, what you can do really well, you know, whether that's, you know, writing or coding or mapping out processes if, if, or, or math. If that's your thing, then double down on that rather than becoming a social animal. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's, I think, uh, in a lot of words, again, because that's also how I work, man, you, you, you turn on the on switch and I'll pre pretty much, you know, try to tell you what I'm thinking. And you're right. There's a million other thoughts going through my head, so it's impossible. But if I have to bring it down into one sentence, I would say develop your strengths rather than your weaknesses. Stan, that is absolutely brilliant. And all they have to do is look at what you've achieved um, and just follow you and see these things you come out with uh, on social all the time and, and in real life. You're, you're a font of knowledge uh, and it is always a pleasure talking to you Stan I could talk to you all day long uh, and sometimes we will and we do so <laughs> really <laughs> likewise likewise uh, including some of those inter instant uh, gratification beers <laughs> <laughs> yeah look at looking forward to, to Theo I'll definitely keep following your, uh, your your podcast cheers man Stan you the man great to have you on uh, and look forward to seeing you soon cheers my life You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Today's episode is sponsored by Udder. Udder is a HR tech consulting advisory and services business. Their mission is to improve the HR tech industry for everyone. They work with vendors to help them build products to solve real-world problems, and they work with buyers to help them make better purchasing decisions. They are also advocates of neurodiversity at work.